Thank you for joining the Roche Republic podcast. In our 11th episode, your host Adrian Clay is joined by Rivo Uibo, the co-founder and chief business officer of Modular Bank. They are here to discuss how technology enables new business models in banking. In 2019, almost 60% of banks did not return their cost of capital. By the fall of 2020, things turned worse due to the COVID-19 crisis. The banking industry was trading at a historically low 50% discount to the broader market, with 79% of banks trading below book value. Low profitability is becoming a structural issue and the banks need to tackle their cost while generating new revenue streams. Rivo and Adrian discuss how technology allows banks to tackle their legacy inefficiencies and enables them to launch digital era business models to bring them back on the growth path. Also, how customers' expectations have changed due to the seamless banking experiences provided by modern neobanks, and how traditional banks should respond in order to own the next horizon of innovation. Modular Bank offers a new state-of-the-art cloud-based core banking system, therefore Adrian and Revo evaluate Modular Bank's role within the new digital value chain in financial services. Here's Adrian Clare from Ross Republic kicking off the podcast on technology-enabling new business models in banking. Hi, this is Adrian from Ross Republic. Uh, I'm joined today in this episode by Rivo from Modular Bank. Hi, Rivo, how are you doing? Hi, Adrian. Uh, doing great. Um, maybe I give a short background of uh, what you do um, and what your role is at the moment, because you're the co-founder and chief business officer at Modular Bank. And for the listeners that have not heard of Modular Bank before, it's an Estonian-based cloud-native API-based core banking platform that allows to establish a new banking business or also to digitally transform an existing one. And the platform builds next-generation banking experiences, both in the retail as well as business banking landscape, as well as for any brand that wants to reach out into financial services. So this whole embedded banking story that we also talked a lot in the podcast before, um, Modular Bank is um, yeah, an infrastructure player that can, can actually enable these new business models. And Rivo himself, he has a background in providing strategic advice to banking and financial services companies. Um, he's passionate about bringing change in banking technology. And um, before Modular Bank, Rivo was head of business at IceFire, um, which is also, I think, a well-known um, company uh, from Estonia, where he architected innovative solutions and strategies to help IT and financial services companies to overcome complex challenges. And I would like to pick two two projects from him here out a little bit, which I think were super interesting. The first one was um, uh, the design of an award-winning business case for SME lending in the API economy for one of the Finnish biggest banks, OP. And the other one is um, providing Volkswagen financial services with a blockchain-based concept framework to share relevant information between all stakeholders from the state to car dealerships. So, yeah, I think Rivo is the, you know, one of the best experts to talk to um, when it comes to the future of infrastructure and financial services and uh, digital technology, which is our topic of today. Um, so as a first question, Rivo, what's a fintech or banking related piece of news that you picked up uh, in the recent, like recently that um, moved you or that was like very interesting for you? There are like many pieces that have been like super interesting lately, like starting from v uh, Visa's move to also allow, let's say, the settlements using the cryptocurrencies and so on. But actually, I would highlight a piece which was uh, written by Simon Torrance in the fall. And uh, this touches the digital business model mm -hmm. ar archetypes. So that's basically also it's a kind of a framework. And I think it has a profound impact in the banking and fintech ecosystem out there because it touches like all the elements that how should one consider the positioning of the business and company and relevance? It touches the pinpoints of like the underlying technology and uh, partnerships, like really how to reach the scale and also how to, let's say, understand that you really do not need to uh, build all of those assets on your own, but rather you need to uh, make a mashup of services which are relevant to users out there. And I think that okay. this is a piece that every banker and every like a fintech co-founder should read and uh, make their own conclusions. All right. Yeah, that's perfect. I mean, that fits very well to the topic of today, um, how technology enables new business models. And I think um, that's uh, that's something we can dive a little bit deeper later. My my piece of news would be um, for March, where Stripe has raised $600 million at almost $100 billion valuation, which is quite uh, quite huge for a company, um, a private, still private company. Um, but of course, um, yeah, so they and they will use that, that uh, new funding actually to expand across Europe. Um, and out of the f 42 countries in which Stripe powers businesses today, 31 are actually in Europe. So um, they have a really big 
base of customers there. Um, and I think their mission is, is actually quite interesting uh, to grow the GDP of the internet because 14% of commerce is taking place online, which is obviously not a lot. So enabling businesses to accept payments online, to build their own, like build on Stripe's payment infrastructure to um, um, to enable online commerce is uh, yeah very interesting field um, in, in financial services at the moment. And Stripe is one of the big big players that makes big moves there. So um, I'm really exciting to see what what comes next from Stripe. And um, one of our recent guests also mentioned Stripe Treasury as like a quite cool innovation in the US in banking as a service and so on that Shopify is also using. Um, so that would be my my piece of news where I would recommend everyone to have a look at what Stripe is is doing because that can also serve as a really great source of inspiration for, let's say, traditional banks, but as well also fintechs. So if we jump into the topic of today, um, how technology enables new business models in banking and, of course, modular banks' role, I would just ask you to maybe describe in your own words, uh, probably much better than I've done in the intro, what was the trigger for founding Modular Bank? What was like the insight that you had? Why is there a new infrastructure provider needed in the market? Uh, thanks for this question. And there, there was actually, let's say, the whole uh, number of topics why we decided to create and come to the market with Modular Bank. So that we looked what was available on the market and uh, which has been considered to be the award winning. But if you look how monolithic they are, how inflexible they are, so which means that this is not the pathway forward. Then you looked some of the like newcomers who started to attack any of the like business vertical or line of business. And then you understood that if you want to have a like overwhelming uh, impact on the bottom line, they were just like too, too simplistic too, uh, so that they didn't have the coverage. Then when you looked at the number of uh, early stage entrants to the next gen core banking space, they were mainly focused only on their retail capabilities. But if you look any anybody out there, uh, then there are very, let's say, little support uh, for a serious business banking and not mentioning even the corporate banking aspects. And uh, yeah. when you put, put all of those things together and we looked into the mirror that uh, before launching Modular Bank, we had built like core banking infrastructure, especially the heavy lifting side of that one for more than 15 different commercial banks. And uh, we looked into the mirror and we understood that we have a tremendous value to offer to the institutions out there. Mm -hmm. All right, and uh, so. and uh, yeah, that that led us also like to the let's say really the understanding that uh, when we look at the challenges in the BFSI industry, we can let's say help accounts to tackle three things simultaneously. First one, provide immediate positive impact on the bottom line of the business. Second one, support the like uh, near short term goals of the business, like to run the bank in real time, super individual contract servicing, and as a third element, to future proof the bank which means that you can consider modular bank also as, as a kind of a factory to discover the future of finance use cases. And suddenly, voila, here it is for two years. Okay, great. Um, and as the name suggests, it's all based on, you know, cloud-based banking, uh, APIs and microservices, I assume. Absolutely. So that uh, it's born uh, born in the cloud. It's it's cloud native, and uh, it has the API first approach, which means that it's uh, super easy to embed those capabilities either to your already existing IT banking, uh, let's say, uh, technology landscape, or help uh, let's say other industry verticals or uh, embedded banking use cases and tap into the e-commerce sites or let's say to your Amazon Alexa or whatsoever. Okay. Um, and I think something to mention, uh, especially for the listeners as well, is that there's a difference between what you're doing and what some other players are doing, because some have a license uh, that they will that they usually sell as a package together. Let's say here in Berlin, there's Solaris Bank as a well-known provider who powers a lot of the German uh, neo banks, um, which are using Solaris Bank's license and just building basically their front end and so on on top of it. Um, whereas what you're doing is also mostly like who, who are your, your typical target groups that you're selling into? Uh, you made an absolutely correct no note that Modular Bank is a core banking suit, which means that we offer the technology and platform and we do not uh, possess uh, the license. And I, I do think that uh, the likes, uh, uh, like you mentioned, the Solaris Bank and so on, they have the niche to offer on the market. You want to test out rapidly your business idea, off you go. 
like uh, su super seamless. But we come yeah. in, into the game like a, a stage later. If the idea scales and you want to possess more control uh, over the infrastructure, how you run your business, how you launch the new like value propositions and so on, which means more stickiness in the long term. Yeah. And uh, th those are the elements uh, that Modular Bank brings like on board. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I've seen also in the market that, um, I mean, it's, it sounds like a good idea. You can quickly kickstart a bank by using uh, the license holder and, you know, the core, like the core banking systems that uh, Solaris Bank is then offering together with it. But um, it's still to, you know, it remains to be seen if that can work in the regulated banking industry as easily as like in, let's say, food delivery or so. Because um, what, I, what we've seen in the market is that for some it works well, like, for example, like Penta is growing quite fast in, in business banking in Germany who are building on, on Solaris Bank. But um, other niche niche banks, definitely, it, it's still about banking and, and you know, uh, scaling these type of companies still can be quite costly, can require a lot of capital. Um, so I think that whole that whole model, I think, still remains to be seen as a very early industry to see if, if, uh, if banking as a service providers can then really kickstart this whole new uh, segment of banks that are only running on Solaris Bank. And what you mentioned is exactly what I've hearing a lot that maybe you, sometimes you're outgrowing that kind of model and you would everyone would like to see uh, more control over the infrastructure and more flexibility and product development and so on. And that's, I think, where, where you're coming in with a really specialized uh, infrastructure player. Yeah. Yes, and uh, let's say for the let's say uh, for the institutions themselves uh, running those business ideas, these two are complementary. So that yeah. uh, this is, let's say, like a really the kind of a win-win-win scenario where like Solaris Bank is a winner. They have their fair share of business, uh, the business launching and testing the business ideas. They can get those things done like in a super, let's say, fast and rapid pace. And uh, Modular Bank is a winner because uh, we have just, yeah. let's say, a, a different play to to play. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, also to maybe kind of go around the topic um, from a high level perspective. Um, I've prepared a few statistics uh, on the European banking industry, which are um, not that, um, you know, a little bit depressing. So um, I think if you look at European banks um, and look at the numbers, it's um, even before the Corona crisis was a little bit difficult for them to really um, come to a level of profitability that would make investors happy. So a lot of the banks, um, you know, trade at a 50% discount to the broader economy. Um, uh, it's, it's basically at a historical low now after the Corona crisis and 79% um, of banks trade below their book value. So, so low profitability is always, if you talk to any banker, you know, they're always uh, talking about decreasing net interest income. Um, and then of course, it's, 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 it's difficult to build up suddenly um, fee income from scratch that would, um, would basically bring in new revenue streams. So this whole, you know, missing profitability um, is, is, um, can be maybe seen as a structural issue at European banks. So I would be interested from, from this kind of standpoint, because you already, already said that um, what you're doing already has a positive P&L impact for your clients. Um, how do you see from your perspective now this whole European banking landscape in terms of the challenges and the profitability um, aspect? Yes, I like completely agree with you and, and the stats that you presented. So that uh, if you look at the current uh, zero rate interest environment, you look at the inefficiencies, uh, let's say, how to run and maintain your customer base. So this is not sustainable uh, in the long run, which means that uh, the banks need to be able to significantly bring down the cost, cost base to, to service the customers. And yeah. on the other front, they need to, let's say, still... Uh, find uh, for the ways how to remain profitable, which means that the current free fee structures uh, are not sustainable either. So that uh, yeah. I think if you look any other consumer study out there, people are willing to, let's say, pay a fair share if there is a certain element of success. So I mean, yeah. that, uh, why, why not like, let's say, also distribute, let's say, uh, a certain percentage from the amount of increased wealth 
instead of charging, let's say, the fixed monthly retainers, let's agree a certain threshold. And if the bankers yeah. are able to grow, grow my wealth beyond that, I think it's fair from the consumer perspective and also from the bank's perspective, uh, like to get paid for that one. So which means mm -hmm. that it's all about uh, supporting the aspirations and being relevant out there. But also I need to note here that we have a lot of belief that incumbents have a huge, uh, let's say, uh, opportunity lying ahead of them so that we are not yeah. doing this, this kind of uh, bashing because there are like number of reasons. Uh, point one, uh, they have large customer bases, which means that if you do something significantly differently, then also the impact uh, can be seen also much faster, like versus the newcomer mm -hmm. who needs to start acquiring the customers from day one. And the second yeah. aspect uh, concerns the currency of trust, which means that uh, uh, like the, they, are, they are already accountable towards the regulators. And uh, and like whatever concerns persons, let's say, uh, medical aspects of their lives or any any of the money related aspects, then it's all about the trust. And uh, therefore, yeah. like if things done right, then I think it's, uh, let's say, a super good chance for the banks, uh, point A, to uh, stay relevant and point B, to find, let's say, the correct revenue streams for the future and uh, for the growth of profitability. Yeah. If you go a little bit deeper into this topic, um, maybe also addressing both sides, because you said on the one hand, new fee structures or, or new, new basically new ideas, how to generate fee income and also bringing down the cost base, um, which is, I mean, uh, you know, I'm based in Berlin and talking to German banks. That's, yeah, that's um, what you can see. The top 10 banks here are all like, if, if, if you see their, their latest reports, it's all about cost cutting at the moment. So um, especially on an European level, um, like the profitability is extremely under pressure in Germany. Um, if you look at France, uh, cost to income ratios are way higher than the than the European uh, average. Um, in the UK, of course, it remains to be seen that the impact of Brexit um, might also have an impact on um, yeah on the banking industry there. And Italy has a lot of um, legacy non-performing assets. So each each country, of course, is unique in terms of the banking structure um, and the industry there and the dynamics. But it seems. Um, do you, do you think like cost cutting is 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 the way to go, or does it is is, is that just a baseline that is like doing it's like doing your homework and you still need to go beyond that? You need to go beyond that. I think that uh, let's say that cost cutting or uh, or let's say decreasing the cost base. I think that this is something that comes along when other things are done right. And uh, here comes also that let's say I think the fundamental shift that if the banks have been mainly uh, catering also from the like technology perspective, their internal needs, then now they need to shift more towards the like external focus. They need to like start publishing like their own capabilities to third party like e-commerce sites and, and to the places actually where the economic transactions take place, which means that mm -hmm. the banks are like eventually going uh, out there to chase the new cash. And uh, yeah. while, you, while you do that, you also modernize your like tech stack, uh, make things much more nimble. The processes become like straight through processing like and, and, and so forth. So I think that uh, the cost cutting cannot and should not be the kind of a primary goal in mind. But this is rather something that comes along when the rest of the building blocks are uh, placed out there correctly. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, it seems like at the moment there there's so much cost cutting going on and still like, I mean, especially the larger banking groups or even the cooperative banks that have, you know, a decentralized structure. And uh, to me, it always seems like this whole technology landscape is so like uh, it's such a legacy thing that it will take quite a while until these things get in order. Um, do, do you feel like um, this whole cost-cutting thing is—is is it, is it something that distracts the banks, and you know maybe they should have their eyes already in the future to somewhere else? Um, what, is, what has been your experience, and how, how fast can this go, and, and what are like the options there? I, I think that uh, let's say that we should look this thing as kind of a, from the perspective of the maturity curve. So that yeah. uh, when, when like everybody suddenly understood that uh, the current set of services are inflexible, that was, uh, let's say, the kind of a first uh, wave of hype for fintechs who told that we are going to break down the banks. Then like as a kind of a counteraction, the banks like launched the innovation labs who were given the large budgets and so on. But at the same time, those innovation uh, departments were like so detached from the main lines of businesses that basically there was like a, a zero like bottom line impact. 
So that mm -hmm. uh, I mean, because like still the budgets, uh, which would uh, provide a lot of room for uh, to manu maneuver around and uh, and test out the let's say business cases and modernization efforts. I mean, the budgets okay. are still there, but you need somehow to incorporate those into your like uh, main lines of businesses. And uh, yeah. this is the only way that uh, when, for example, the corporate venturing and uh, running your main uh, business uh, like yeah. when they are aligned i think that the bottom line impact can be like much different and that that's why okay. i like to highlight that it's 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 a topic of uh, maturity curve things take time and uh, here also let's say the internal maturity come into the game and also that let's say external forces because i mean that yeah. uh, i i know if you look at the open banking and bsd2 landscape it has been pain, like really, really painful for many. But uh, I think that this is for good and for everyone because uh, this pushes everybody to move around, uh, both from the inter internal perspective plus like the new like uh, business models are like emerging. So it's uh, yeah. it's a kind of let's say comb combination of two. Okay, interesting. And you also mentioned earlier um, that you're not one of the let's say new players that bash um, uh, the traditional banks. I think that that's even like something that uh, only rarely is happening now. That was like a few years ago when uh, you always read in the press that the neo banks will take over and traditional banks, um, you know, will massively lose out, um, which is of course not true. And um, I, I mean, I personally believe that the, I mean, there was, there was maybe the last, you know, eight years, a wave of neo banks that I think were a good force in the market that has shown that you can actually now um, drive competition in, in this quite stiff market that banking was before, where it's all mostly like um, um, very consolidated or, you know, where the big banks had all the power and that there is a change needed and people like to have more modern financial services. I think that the neo banks have definitely shown. Um, but I think now in the next wave, it's going to be the incumbents that own the next, the next wave of innovation um, that are, you know, that have the balance sheets and, as you said, the customer base to really drive change. Um, I, I completely agree with that. So, so, um, but still, the competitive dynamics are changing, and you already highlighted it a little bit um, um, in, in embedded banking, or you know, that banks themselves could use their infrastructure and lend it out to third parties and so on, which is happening already. So, um, how do you see that one? So, I'm assuming new banks. How do you see this whole uh, market dynamic now? Um, are banks losing out against new banks or who do you is it more about the big tech companies that are now coming in with google account and and so on how do you see this dynamic playing out that's a really really interesting one and so maybe to highlight the kind of a first statement then we, like in our view uh, the competition yeah. is a sign of the competition is a sign of a healthy market so which means yeah. that uh, and everybody's a winner and uh, I think that the best outcome is achieved if things are done like in collaboration. So that uh, if you look, let's say, the kind of, uh, uh, let's say, efficiency of the payment schemas, that means that there needs to be collaboration uh, between multiple regulators yeah. and, uh, and, and larger banking groups. Yeah. If there is something that concerns uh, seamless user journeys and uh, places where the economic transactions take place, you cannot look things just from the pure mar marketplace perspective and keep the financing and payment flows aside. So that uh, I think that if uh, eventually uh, a larger trust is established and those players can sit behind the table in a kind of uh, seamless manner, then uh, I think the outcome is much, much better for everyone. And let's, took, yeah. or let's, let's look even a simple, let's say, use case. Like uh, nobody has a dream of uh, taking a mortgage. People have the aspiration to own a home. And, yeah. and over there, uh, like uh, you, have, you have the banks who can, let's say, do the, let's say, mortgage lending. You have the real estate marketplaces. You have the notaries and so on. And, uh, yeah. and why not try, try to fit those things into one seamless flow? And uh, whereas one can be sure that everybody will get their fair share of, of the, let's say, revenues and, and fees generated. So that yeah. uh, things should be looked much more from the, let's say, value chain and, uh, and from the perspective of uh, providing the seamless services. Absolutely. I think there was a study I came across recently about um, collaboration and that um, like they analyzed uh, different payment apps and uh, acceptance by users and the payment apps that have been formed by 
uh, you know, under co by cooperation between larger banking groups. And the more like these banking groups cooperated, the better was the actual market share of these new payment apps. So uh, absolutely agree that collaboration is like a key success factor. And it's not like um, the, the, you know, neobanks that are completely disrupting the market. That's I think that hypothesis has been already disproven. Absolutely. And actually, actually, I did not mention that before, but also, let's say, uh, making those complex banking instruments in a, accessible in an easy to use manner. That was another aspect of like bringing modular bank uh, to the market, because uh, mm -hmm. let's say that if you look at the current, uh, let's say, offering of uh, uh, neobanks, it's still fairly simplistic. And uh, but yeah. uh, then you look, let's say, what what the larger uh, incumbent banking groups can offer. It's the whole variety of uh, instruments. It's the whole variety of financial services and so on. And yeah. uh, therefore, uh, let's say, when making those kind of capabilities accessible to everyone, both for the large incumbents and for the new emerging fintechs, then uh, suddenly we think that modular bank has a great, uh, let's say, say like in all of the whole landscape. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, what you also just mentioned about, um, you know, this whole value chain perspective that banks should uh, take into account. Um, I came across uh, a study by Modular Bank, which um, has shown that consumers are loyal, obviously, still to their banking institutions. So from a brand perspective, that's still, uh, I think, uh, very important that, I mean, banks are still seen as a very trustworthy entity. Um, however, they price effective technology over all other things, including interest rates. I think that was a super interesting findings uh, or finding um, where they choose to bank. So, I mean, I think that's that's something um, you know where, where banks should probably also really pick up the pace of uh, maybe even learn from other other neo banks also that there should be like a, a switch from what you mentioned a pure product focus like no one wants a mortgage no one wants a loan but they want to finance something with that and there's a bigger aspiration behind it um but of course to do that they need new new tech that empowers all of this so um yeah i think that was really important and maybe you have some more observations around trust to larger banks and how you enable them to to seize that Yes, and uh, you're absolutely correct. And I think that the trust is an important concept. And uh, what I like over here, like also, let's say, to highlight, like JP Morgan Chase with the concept and Jamie Dimon with the concept of a fortress balance sheet. So that uh, whatever kind of, let's say, turbulent times that are out there in the industry, there is an institution uh, who is stable and you know you can trust. And I think that is also like, let's say, the reason why, for example, in the UK, many people can have like, uh, let's say, the banking cards from the neobank in their pockets. But the, like when they consider the, let's say, home ownership and mortgages, they still go to the like, uh, let's say, established brands like NatVest uh, nationwide and, and, and so forth. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, really the kind of uh, con concept of, the, of, of trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what also was very interesting to see that um, there is uh, also a study out there that has uh, basically analyzed um, the net promoter score of banks, which are usually, I mean, not that high, sometimes negative, but still um, interesting to look at the leaders in each country who are the banks that get highest promoter scores. And um, it seems that, that there's even a correlation between high net promoter score and net interest income growth for the bank. So the ones that, you know, obviously provide high trust, really good customer experiences through um, modern technology, um, get good net promoter scores, and that also then results in higher higher income so um because that's i think this kind of data is always difficult to find you're always saying hey you need to invest in your ux you need to you know uh, deploy new technologies and use your trust but also stay upfront with um, new products and good ex seamless experiences and um yeah it's it's it's, it's definitely paying out um also uh, and yeah and and yeah like to co to complement that one then like at modular bank we, we really love the word of aspiration and it really doesn't matter whether like, let's say it's aspiration of a large corporate whether it's a sme account or whether it's a, a retail like uh, individual retail custom banking individual everybody have let's say a set of dreams who needs a capital to ac acquire another company who is a business owner who needs the whole let's say set of sdks and tool sets uh, to like uh, enable their business to tribe or who has, let's say, aspiration of owning a home or having a green home with the solar panels attached. So that, uh, and, and I think that uh, if such kind of, uh, let's say, change in the mindset is uh, being applied correctly, the like net promoter scores for such institutions uh, can really thrive. 
Yeah, yeah. Now that's interesting. Do you think that banks have the foresight into these new type of business models and new type of, you know, it, it really requires a lot of customer centric thinking that you really put yourself into the shoes of the customers, what they actually want to buy um, and go, you know, leave this pure product thinking and risk driven thinking that your banks usually had behind. Um, I see that as like one of the major shifts happening now because um, it's all about the, this, like the really getting getting what customers want out there um, and really serving them with with modern products, um, which can be way more intelligent and way more exciting for customers than what, you know, the typical mortgage products you sold already 50 years ago. Um, so I think this is really a lot about internal mindset change at the banking players themselves and really embracing these new business models that come with that. Um, how do you see that playing out now? Are banks kind of, um, you know, bold enough to put this off? Uh, I think you highlighted uh, the crucial and the key aspect that is all about the in internal mindset so that and also I think we can uh, see this one like uh, as a kind of uh, a growth journey. It's also like all about the maturity curve that even if the let's say C level starts uh, to understand that we need to change, then also communicating this message, uh, let's say across all the levels and layers of organization, it takes time. Yeah. And even, for example, if like the uh, senior VPs or executive VPs of lines of businesses understand that one, then there is quite often also the hurdle uh, which comes into the game, how banks uh, procure and outsource those things. So yeah. because, uh, let's say also, like, it's not anymore about uh, trying to procure uh, all, you, all, all you can, let's say, get from one vendor. It's about uh, procuring, let's say, the capabilities from best of breed players. It's about understanding that such kind of change, uh, let's say, it's gradual, because at Modular Bank, we have this uh, mindset, which we also promote, is that success builds on top of the success. So that yeah. if you give, let's say, the, let's say, the belief back to the technology teams uh, who are placed inside of the banks, they make the first, let's say, alpha release of a new, of a new instrument to the market it goes, let's say, in a successful manner. And by doing that, you have already so many new assets and integrations in place so that it's so much easier to gradually expand your offering uh, to much more complex use cases and so forth. So it's, yeah, it's let's say, that uh, understanding uh, the need, communicating that across the organization, uh, also promoting and, uh, let's say, uh, inclusive workplace so that uh, really yep. let's say having a mix of talent uh, from the business schools from the technology firms and so on and giving them let's say the ability to be accountable and the ability to execute so and uh, as, as i said success builds on top of the success yeah no that's great that's really amazing i think uh, then that we can already um talk about these business model changes that are happening um, and and what, what you just also mentioned the procurement and outsourcing procedures and processes at banks that's something we talked actually in our last podcast with um, the ex uh, chief strategy officer Temenos who who has um, basically said that the whole you know assessment models of technology vendors is completely outdated that's happening you know that you know, how banks assess uh, the technology vendors is that that model is kind of broken because you're it's not about who is the biggest vendor who can has you know who has the biggest uh, portfolio of different kinds of products and features that you can then use but much more about who's best in class who can and you know, enable modularity and kind of plug and play features um, and who can basically help me to build new business models in banking and suddenly if you use those new aspects you get you get companies on top that are best in class which would really enable you to to change your technology infrastructure for the better that and the incumbents are suddenly not on the top spots anymore um you know so i think uh, this all these new providers like modular bank that are built on modularity and born in the cloud is um is is, is definitely changing the market but of course the banks also need to um, appreciate that in that sense that this also needs a little bit you know, an adaption in their assessment of the best technologies for their for their future. I think you highlighted many things and, and change is always complex. And also, I think that let's say change is especially complex for the institutions who are uh, operating uh, across multiple jurisdictions, because quite often you still have the laws to, let's say, uh, host uh, like uh, about, the, let's say, the data inside of the uh, borders of the country and so on, which means that uh, such kind of uh, next gen core banking suits must already have the capabilities uh, for multi-cloud environments, 
for like multi-jurisdiction configurations and so on. So that, uh, yeah. let's say, it also puts a lot of pressure, not just for the banks, but actually also it requires quite, quite a lot of maturity from the next-gen uh, tech providers. But where things Absolutely. go wrong, but where, the, let's say, uh, one area where things go often wrong is that if, if such kind of, let's say, uh, a new business case launch is being planned and the, the say specific uh, pieces of software or technology is being acquired. Uh, we have identified expression that if somebody says that this time we will do it right, then you understand okay. that it will, it will be, uh, let's say, completely overwhelming assessment of the technology in a way how it was done like over the course of last 30 years. So that yeah. uh, people should, let's say, maybe embrace a, a bit more flexibility into the thought process and also in the, yeah. into the evaluations, as you said. So that uh, yeah. really like rather think, think in terms of the gradual change, think in terms of, in terms of the time to market and uh, doing things in a gradual way. So that uh, yeah. th there is no single correct answer, but definitely uh, having a mindset that this time we will do everything right. Uh, this is not the way to go. Because if someone also asks that, uh, what's the internal culture at Modular Bank and how are we doing? Then we have a very clear uh, statement. We learn every day. <laughs> so okay. and, uh, this is, let's say, the kind of uh, uh, constant, uh, constant uh, let's say, mo motion for us. Yeah. Great. Um, so that's uh, yeah, very interesting to see, like from your side, how how you go through the procurement processes, and that uh, you made similar experiences. That there, there, there needs still maybe some some mindset change also in how to assess the best software for for the bank. Um, and and um, talking then about the business models, you mentioned already in the intro, there there um, are different kinds of studies about you know what banks should take into account um, when building up the new business and what kind of positionings they could play in, in this whole value chain now um, in the digital era of financial services. Um, I would be interested to hear from your side one very difficult question, but do you think banks should focus on modernizing what they have at the moment, modernizing the core, you know, incremental innovation of their existing product portfolios and services, or should they um, build up new ventures and, and new venture portfolios to, to secure a future? Or um, is that like, I know that's not an easy answer, um, but do you see a certain way to go? <laughs> Again, you highlighted, let's say, absolutely correct uh, thing that uh, there is no, let's say, one answer fits all the kind of uh, situations. But maybe when we, let's say, narrow down some of the scenarios, then when you really want to have uh, the impact on the bottom line, then you should uh, do the gradual change inside of the mothership of operations. Because otherwise, you will end up with a triple the amount of cost. You will have the cost base to keep the old stuff up and running. You will have a uh, cost base to get uh, procure and implement the new stuff. Plus, thirdly, uh, banks are regulated entities, which means that you need all sorts of portfolio calculations and, and so on, which means that you need to keep and maintain the new and old stuff in sync and uh, produce all the proper like uh, uh, reporting and uh, let's say data, data sets for the let's say accurate risk assessment and so forth so that yeah. uh, what we what we have been promoting and also among our customers especially like the ones who are larger like incumbents is to have the gradual change inside of the uh, main operations of course yeah. uh, test out let's say new business ventures and uh, things aside also completely doable but uh, yeah. quite often, let's say, such kind of changes uh, are not so terrible if executed in a kind of a chunks which are eatable. If somebody like yeah. plans already, let's say, five or seven years transformation pr uh, project or program, this is something that uh, that should maybe, let's say, never get approved at first place. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Um, I, what I found very interesting, interesting related to that was that. Uh, if you build out a cloud native low cost platform um, that can result basically in a cost base that is 60 to 70% lower than a mid-tier legacy bank. Um, and of course, I think every bank needs to assess their own you know, technology landscape and business portfolio if they would like to really modernize their core. Or in some cases, I'm sure that there's a, also a really good business case behind building up a new new type of bank and growing that organically then or, or you know, aside to the, to the big mothership. 
Um, uh, there is another angle to that. And I think that because the future of banking will also, uh, let's say, embrace the concept that one bank can have multiple faces. So that even if you, for example, yeah. unbundle the whole set of, let's say, SME banking operations, why shouldn't there be, uh, let's say, let's say a use of next-gen core banking platform, which publishes the, its APIs, uh, for example, uh, for, uh, let's say, uh, IT, IT freelancers, SME-oriented bank. A, a digital bank yeah. for kid, kiddos and so on. But behind all of the, uh, let's say, these, uh, let's say, UIs and front ends, uh, you have the same set of uh, multi tenant, multi currency type of a next gen core banking environment. So that uh, one bank with multiple faces and uh, with, the, let's say, proper uh, target group uh, value proposition type of thing is launched, I think that is, let's say, definitely part of the future roadmap. Okay, so so then let's talk about the, this the new type of business models. Are there certain like business model archetypes uh, that you found interesting? Maybe also related to the study that you mentioned earlier that you read. Uh, yes, and and again, this one also like includes the let's say whole set of let's say maturity curves. That uh, let's say yeah. if traditionally there have been let's say traditional products uh, with like just the digital interfaces. Let's call it like say let's say a savings offering out there. Who can let's say yeah. <laughs> uh, come out like uh, with such kind of thingies? Then there are like a certain stage of let's say intelligent like uh, digital uh, solutions. Let it be some sort of like intelligent chat chatbot or whatsoever. Then comes the whole set of like developer enablement tool sets, or even maybe the best example is that uh, you offer the, let's say, communication infrastructure like Twilio offers. Then comes into yeah. the uh, play of the marketplaces, so that uh, you start, let's say, to bring uh, different economic actors together. And then the fifth and the highest value element is the ecosystem orchestration. And uh, here, maybe, let's say, the example that I bought also before, like from the mortgage space, a super good one. Or, for example, if we would, let's say, uh, look example from the supply chain finance, where some of the wholesalers have the access to thousands of suppliers and thousands of B2B yep. end customers who are all potentially, let's say, interested of having access to the credit with uh, good terms and conditions in an individualized format. Financiers, yep. on the other hand, uh, they are lacking quite often the relevant data sets and timely data sets, like to make the credit yep. assessment. Plus access to the customer base is also super, uh, let's say, expensive because of all the marketing efforts and so on. And uh, those wholesalers at the same time, uh, they want, need to find new revenue streams. Then when you, let's say, add all of those players into one formula, you understand that uh, wholesaler can offer the, let's say, reconciliation data sets about uh, movement of goods and, and payments on a yeah. real-time basis. Then you yeah. eliminate the aspects of customer acquisition cost and cost from the bad underwriting for financiers by like in, including them into the offering. And then you expose all the suppliers and uh, customers of that wholesaler into the ecosystem. So, I mean, it's, it's a win-win-win scenario. And, and these yeah. kind of thingies are like uh, completely uh, new out there. Absolutely. I think talking about ecosystems, that's something that came along also with PSD2, you know, um, where, where obviously first banks opened up their data through APIs. Um, then they realized, hey, actually, we could also ourselves use data from other banks to aggregate, for example, in multi-banking applications, their accounts. So there are different types of use cases that emerged. And, um, and everyone always saw to become the ecosystem orchestrator as like the last step in this journey that you're, you're not only taking in new data and obviously you need to um, open up your own data to others, but um, that you, you take in new data and then also bring in other maybe third-party products and so on for, and orchestrate them for your customers. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is abs absolutely a, a correct uh, highlight. And because let's say that the one who orchestrates those transactions and helps to facilitate those transactions, they have the highest valuations. And if your marketplace, yeah. let's say in your market, let's say in your ecosystem, a lot of transactions take place. Uh, this is a kind of, a, a, let's say, a self-sufficient uh, way of growing the business. Because if you are successful, then also other actors want to collaborate with the ones who are successful. So yeah. this is a kind of, a, let's say, kind of a, one of the pro formulas out there. Yeah, it, it is one of the growth formulas. I think uh, like looking at how industries that get through or that go through this typical digital transformation stage 
there's always like a way that usually plays out, which means a winner takes it all. Like there are some platforms or marketplaces that emerge, which are the biggest ones and smaller ones can't really catch up with that. So I think, you know, every back, every like, you know, um, banker I talk to that is responsible for the APIs and so on, everyone wants to be the ecosystem orchestrator at some point. But I think in a, from a market perspective, you can't have, you can't have 50 ecosystem orchestrators. So there might be, I'm sure some competitive dynamics playing out here. That's a few of them, as you said, the highest valuations are the ones that orchestrate the end cost, like the end, uh, the, the, the you know facilitate the um, transactions with the end customers. And this might be a bank, but this might also be maybe a big tech company. Um, this might be um, you can see it in the mortgage uh, field already with like the big platforms that own more and more market share. Um, so I think that will be very interesting to see which banks actually can pull this off as a new business model. And um, what we also, I think that this is really interesting talking about the business model because what you're doing with your technology is bringing the backend cost very, very, like decreasing the backend cost quite significantly. So um, the, from a supply perspective, um, you can already reach quite a lot of economies of scale in banking with these new type of technologies, adding new customers and so on, facilitating more and more transactions will not so, you know, sufficiently increase your cost base with, if you use new, new uh -huh. scalable technologies. And then you need to look at, okay, if the supply side is already so efficient um, and, and this is where the market will end up at some point, then it's all about the demand So and, you know, the, the opposite. So how can you really make sure you as a bank are at this, you know, point of transaction what, that you mentioned before? So I think in terms of business models for banks, this will be completely different from a landscape than what we had now that you go to a branch to get a loan for example who imagine that in 10 to 15 years that will probably not be the case so it will be right at the point of sale or right in the natively in the app um mm -hmm. which which really requires new thinking from the banks as well how to how to distribute the products how to how to generate demand side economies of scale which are so hard actually now in, in to achieve um you know google has it Big platforms has that, but um, it, and as I said, it can't be that every bank gets to that point where they are the big orchestrators. There will be maybe a few, and then a long tail of banks that have maybe specialized business models, um, which brings us back to what you're doing, that, that they need those new type of technology providers like Modular Bank to really prepare themselves also for the future, because the tech is then only one part of it. Uh, it would be really interesting to hear your point of view, because the technology is, again, only like an enabler for these banks to create new business models. You're absolutely correct. And uh, this is also, let's say, one of the like uh, cornerstones for Modular Bank. Technology is yeah. just an enabler for us. So that, uh, let's say that, and, and also, let's say, the kind of aspect of uh, uh, bringing down the cost base, this is also a side effect. The main thing is to have the rapid launches available. And, we ha and, and this is what we, let's say, uh, this is our value proposition, that we know so deeply uh, the banking technology landscape. We know the banking processes, products and regulations that we have yeah. uh, made it like accessible in an easy to use format, which is, let's say, meaning that those kind of capabilities are published over APIs. And uh, that is, okay. we, we, have a say, we have a say that it is super uh, easy to build complex things, but it is so complex to build something uh, easy to use and nimble and elegant. And this is what uh, yeah. we we consider that what we have achieved with modular bank that uh, any of the player out there let it be like a non-bank or in industry player let it be a large incumbent can just uh, provision a modular bank in a super uh, digital and uh, auto automated way and uh, can launch those uh, instruments and services uh, in a configuration driven manner which are immediately made available over the apis so that uh, yeah. suddenly the, the banking capabilities are available at a certain time and at a certain moment uh, and at a certain, let's say, use case basis whenever required 24-7 from Australia to Chile to Estonia to Germany and so forth. And uh, yeah. this is the wonders of uh, uh, what experienced people in the banking sphere uh, can, let's say, give to the rest of the world. <laughs> it's not, it's not yeah, just no. it's, it's not it's not just about technology it's uh, so much let's say exposing this let's say tremendous uh, package and wealth of, of knowledge from the industry yeah no that sounds great and i would i would maybe pick one um you know aspect of what you mentioned also um for like an, maybe as an outlook for how the industry plays out which is um 
that U.S. multilateral bank not only serve as uh, you know banking customers, but also uh, non-financial services type of companies, which could be retailers, which could be energy companies, which could be from the automotive fee, uh, segment, um, which is, I mean, everyone is talking about this whole embedded banking trend, um, which makes in theory a lot of sense. I think in reality, um, there are not that, um, you know, when it comes to mainstream adoption, uh, there's still a lot to be done. Um, what, what do you see this as a type of, you know, um, also, again, regarding the competition in banking, if you as modular bank also enable, let's say, retailers um, to offer direct banking banking solutions for their customers and, um, you know, in telco, it's, it's been a long tradition that, you know, telcos always try out to build their own banks and so on. So um, how do you how do you see that out for also maybe also looking into the future? Um, do, 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 do you think this will be, a, an, you know, a segment that will grow in the future? Yes. And uh, if you look also out there, then the boundaries between the traditional industries, like between the telco and finance, between the medicine and, uh, and finance, between uh, like yeah, retailers and finance, uh, those boundaries are getting more and more blurred because everybody is yeah. interested about convenience and uh, from the consumer perspective and uh, at the same time those in the industry accounts uh, they are interested about new revenue streams so which means that yeah. uh, this is a set of synergies that uh, is being created so that uh, there is a somebody who wants to find new revenue streams and there is a set of consumers uh, who need things in a super seamless and convenient manner yeah and uh, but yeah. Uh, completely agreed that uh, this is something that uh, takes time it doesn't happen overnight and also a certain uh, let's say knowledge base needs to be established because a, a good yeah. parallel uh, case is also coming from the for example from the digital asset and crypto world if you look like all the card networks uh, large banks who were like bashing let's say the digital asset world now let's say have they it has taken them a few years to build up the knowledge base mm -hmm to feel comfortable and so on so that they know what kind of uh, business they are uh, playing with and what is the uh, amount of risk they are comfortable with and yeah. uh, one, once uh, such kind of let's 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 call them institutional voids uh, are overcome then it's also the kind of a mainstream adoption it's possible i feel exactly the same way so i'm looking forward to see actually more uh um, embedded finance uh, use cases coming out uh, in the future. So I think that will be very interesting to see which players will actually implement their own financial services uh, and um, you know uh, launch that into their own as their own um, uh, as part of their own product portfolio. So um, yeah, that's great. Um, I'm, where can people find out more about Modular Bank and what you're doing? Yeah. Two main uh, sources, uh, the first one being LinkedIn, uh, the page for Modular Bank. We are uh, regularly posting uh, things over there, and I highly suggest to follow that one because there is a tremendous number of customer cases which we have already implemented, but we haven't done any shootout to the media yet. So I'm so eager basically to come to the office on a daily basis and, uh, and by knowing that uh, we will push these things out to the media. And definitely modularbank.co, uh, which is the main, main page for Modular Bank, that is another good uh, source. And uh, then of course, all the members of the commercial team at Modular Bank, everyone being willing to share the insight and uh, showcase that uh, how it's possible to either partner up with us or uh, to benefit from the capabilities of Modular Bank. Super happy to do so. Great. Yeah, that sounds uh, amazing. I mean, I can also recommend uh, for the German listeners, uh, Lukas from Modular Bank Berlin. Um, he's also always happy to help out um, if you're a large incumbent bank or fintech or any basically what we talked about before brand that wants to look into the emerging opportunities of embedded banking. So highly recommend um, Modular Bank for that uh, kind of use cases. So thanks a lot, Rivo, for taking the time to talk about uh, Modular Bank and this big new world of um, you know um, technological changes in banking and the new business models that come with that. Adrian, thanks a million. It was a pleasure. Thank you.